Good morning. Good morning. So, so uh, <clears throat> how many, I re- already asked how many like the snow. I, I love the snow. I really do. I love, I love snow, but I grew up in Minnesota. So this is like, this is like mild flurries. I mean, you know, it's like I grew up, I was 12 before I realized that snow didn't go sideways. <laughs> I thought that's just the way that snow worked. Um, but the other thing is, you know, a lot of times people come into the Christmas season and they have like this kind of dread about it. And I, I'm just, I, I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. And this year, and I know, I know I said this last year too, but this year I just want to really encourage you to really just embrace what God wants to do in you and, and embrace the, the message of Christmas rather than getting so caught up in stress and decorations and gifts and all of that. I just, just encourage you this year. Um, just let's, can we just take a deep breath all together and just, just really take it in. I'm really excited about, about this message, this particular series, this passage is in the context of Isaiah, and it's talking about these four different names of God. But what, do you, what are some of the first questions you ask a young lady when, when you find out that someone's pregnant? When are you due? And then what else? Is it a boy or girl? Then what else? Yeah, have you thought about any names? So what do you think the most popular... Let's, we're going we're gonna to do the top five names um, for 2018. Top five names for girls, starting with girls. Number five, anybody have any guesses? Isabella. Number four, Ava. Number three, these are all like these old school names, you know, from way back. Number three, Emma. Number two, Olivia. And what is the number one most popular girl's name from 2018? Anybody know? Yes. No. <laughs> nope, not even on the top hundred. <laughs> Anybody? Rebecca, no. Anybody else? Sophia, which means wisdom, which is pretty cool. So how about for boys? Number five, Caden. Number four, Aiden. <laughs> Number three, Dayden. No. Um, number three, Noah. Number two, Liam. And number one, great name. This is a great name for a boy. Jackson. <laughs> they spelled it wrong, though. That's my grandson's name. <laughs> Jackson is the number one name. We, there was a family in my hometown, and they had six kids, and the, the mom thought she was pregnant again. And she said, if I am pregnant, we're going to name him Daryl. Daryl be no more. <laughs> My maiden name, Sable, Sable is um, German. And um, it means machete or like saber, like Sable. So watch out. Um, but, you know, we kind of throw out these names with, you know, for kids, we kind of throw out just, oh, that name, I like that name, or that name's really popular, or whatever. But in biblical times, names were super, super important. And I actually, I, I did some research, and I'm not sure the exact number of names for Jesus, but it's well over 100. There are over 100 names that, that were used to describe who he is. And, and we're going to really be focusing in the month of December, on, on some of the names of God. We're going to be looking 
specifically at this one passage out of Isaiah 9. And this was written as a prophecy. And you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies pointing to Jesus. And I'll give you the statistic next week on what the chances are that even one of those would have come to to pass or two or three or four. But for all of them, every single prophecy that was given concerning Jesus Christ came to pass in him or or is going to, he is coming back. You know that, right? You know he's coming back. I'm so excited for that. Can't even tell you. But the context here, Isaiah is writing this. It's around 700 years before Jesus was even born. And what was happening was there was a, there was a great rebellion and people were just, they were ticked off at God and they were, um, they were going to, to all of these worldly methods for their wisdom And it says that in Isaiah 8.22, it says, They will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness and gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Sounds like that could have been written yesterday, huh? You know, people are looking to the things of this world for their hope. They're looking to to money or amusement. I heard uh, I heard this sermon yesterday, and this guy was talking about amuse. Muse means to 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 um, think, to muse on something. You know, amuse means not to think. So amusement means you just escape. You just kind of. And I, I don't have anything against you know, relaxing, watching a movie or whatever. But our culture is, is really addicted to it. It's just, I just want to check out. I don't want to deal with my issues. I don't want to think, right? And, and that's that darkness. I love that, that I didn't realize that almost every song sang about light, that there's going to be light. Let there be light. Open the eyes of the blind. And it says in Isaiah 9, 2, It says, these people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Today, we're going to really be talking about this particular passage, the Wonderful Counselor. We're going to really be looking at some historical context. The thing about the word wonderful, we say, oh, that's wonderful. That was so wonderful. That was a wonderful play. Or, oh, you know, we had such a wonderful time on our vacation. This isn't that kind of wonderful. I mean, it is, but it goes so much deeper. This is like wonder. Like this is, it causes us to be in awe of God's wisdom. This is the all-wise, all-knowing God who wants to counsel us, who wants to speak to us, to speak into every situation, the uncreated one, the one who has never had to receive counsel, the one like that, the words in that song, he's not divided in his heart. God doesn't, there's no shadow of turning. Everything about him is is determined. Everything about him is solid. God is completely solid. 
and he's never had to ask anyone. You know, there's, there's a scripture that says, who has known the mind of the Lord that he might instruct him? God has never had to, to go to anyone to get any answers to his questions. And here, this all-wise, all-knowing God wants to speak to every situation in our lives. And he wants to lead us and guide us. And I, for one, am so thankful for that. You know, I was talking to somebody yesterday who was raised in the church and, um, you know, they were, they were just talking about how, you know, reading the Bible sometimes can just feel like a, like a religious thing. And I just had this, this understanding at that moment that, you know, I, I grew up the first probably 24 years of my life without the word of God, really, without the understanding of the implications of, of what you can really gain from reading the Bible. And, I think there's such a different perspective. So if you were somebody that was raised, you know, reading the Bible, it's like uh, my prayer for you is that it would have a newness, that every time you would come into the word of God, you would just be in awe of it, of its goodness, because it is so powerful. And that is one of the ways that Jesus wants to use to speak to us, um, you know, when it says he's the wonderful counselor. I just think, man, he wants to speak to every area of our lives, every single area. And one of the ways that he does it is through his spirit, of course. You know, and I I know when my boss, Bill, was here, he said something so profound. He said, you know, the voice of God is not audible, but it is undeniable. And, And God, our Father, speaks to us by his spirit. And um, there's this passage that I I love. This is one of my favorite passages. Um, I know I say that about, like, it was like I used to tease Eric. I used to say, you have like 500 movies in your top 10. (laughs) You know, that's kind of how I am with scriptures. It's like, I probably have 500 favorite top 10 scriptures. But this this is definitely among the very top. It's Matthew 11, 28, and it says, Jesus is saying this. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How many of you need rest? How many of you are just tired? You're just worn down. Life's worn you down. You're stressed, tired, and worn out. He says, come unto me. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, the context here, you know, Jesus had said he was talking to the Pharisees and the scribes and the hypocrites and the teachers of the law. And one of the things that he said to them at one point, he said, you know, you put all these heavy burdens on people. You give them all these rules. You give them all this religion, you, you, all these external things, all these expectations, and you don't even lift a finger to help them. You don't even do anything to help them. You just keep putting more and more. Does that sound familiar at all? The spirit of religion, you know, religion means that it's somebody else imposing something on it. It's something external. But when we talk about Jesus here, we're talking about coming to him so we can find rest for our souls. And I, I, I did this study on what does that really mean? You know, we always think the yoke, you know, we, we talk about the yoke, like the oxen that had the yoke, like they would have to both go the same speed they both would carry it. But in the context here, I didn't realize this, but 
for a, for a Jewish rabbi, a yoke was something that, that was kind of like their interpretation of the Torah. So what would happen was at about the age of six, young Israeli or uh, Jewish boys would begin to study the Torah. And this became all-consuming. The Torah, which is the first five books of the, of the Old Testament, Math, or Matthew, Mark, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they would study these so much so that they would have them memorized by the time they were 10. The first five books of the Bible, memorized by the time, makes you feel like you're not, not quite as bright as these 10-year-old Israeli. I mean, that was so convicting for me. And these, they were called students at the time. And if they would start to notice that they were really skilled at, at, at learning the scriptures, then they would go to the next level, um, which was called, let me see, where did I put this? It was called, um, the first one is called the Beth Sefer, which is the house of the book, which is the, the, um, the Torah. The second one is called Bet Talmud, which means the house of learning. This was the sec, kind of the second level of learning. They were still called students at this time because they were still learning and they were still memorizing. And all, and all of the scriptures, they would memorize the first 39 books. 39. And they understood so much about the scriptures. But it wasn't just like they could, you know, recite it. Because what would happen was they would, have the, they would enter into these dialogues and they would be talking about their interpretation of the scripture. Because the rabbi, they were kind of like the um, modern day theologians. They would have their interpretation of what the Torah meant. And that was what their yoke was called, was kind of like their methodology or their interpretation of the Torah was their yoke. So this, between the ages of 11 and 14, that was the second level, and that's when these, when these young boys would start to study, and they would also try to figure out, are these boys, do they have an aptitude for this? You know, are they really gifted in this area? And if they were at the age of, you know, 14 or 15, then they would go on and study to become a disciple. Up until this point, they weren't disciples. They were just students. And so what would happen was with the other boys... If they didn't really have an aptitude for this, then they would send them off and, and send them to take over the family business or to, to kind of apprentice in a, in a skill. So when Jesus talks about the yoke, what he's talking about is that once they reach the age of 14 or 15 to study to become a rabbi, they would kind of choose, they would select which rabbi they wanted to, to go with. They, they would align with that particular lifestyle and interpretation and they would have all of these dialogues and that's all they would do they would sit there and talk and they would they would talk about the scriptures they would talk about what does this mean well what does this mean how do you interpret this what is this that was the yoke and then whatever the level of strictness or um, leniency that whatever particular rabbi had was called their burden so when Jesus says here he goes my yoke is easy unlike the teachers of the law who would put these, these heavy weights and all of this expectation and these laws on their students or their, their disciples, actually. So it says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because remember what Jesus said. He said that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. 
that he is the one who counsels us. He's the one that can give us rest. He can give us that counsel. I thought that was, that was so interesting. When these young men were 14 or 15, they, went, they entered into what's called Bet Madrash, which means the house of study. And then the study of the scriptures became their entire life. And, and so when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Because when a young man decided to walk with a rabbi, it wasn't just to sit under that teaching, but it was to become exactly like the rabbi. You see the implications of this when Jesus is calling us? And if you think about this, when Jesus went and called these fishermen and these tax collectors and these kind of flunkies, that didn't have this propensity for the scriptures, Jesus called them. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light because these, these people knew that they couldn't do all of the things that was required of them from the law. And so one of the quotes that they had was, cover yourself with the dust of your rabbi's feet, which means that, you know, they, they would walk around, the rabbis would be walking around and, and you know, they'd be kicking up dust which meant, you know, that their disciple would be that close behind them that they'd be listening to everything they said and, and dialoguing with them. And that's what Jesus is calling us to, is to take his yoke upon us, to, to re- release ourselves from the, these false expectations and all this religious stuff and just to take his yoke upon us, his interpretation of what the scriptures mean. And... Um, you know, in the, in the book of Exodus, I don't know if you're familiar with that book, but that is the whole, the, the story of the Israelites um, kind of going through their big trials, trying to leave their bondage and leave their pain. And that is all so symbolic of, of the, the cares of this world. And I think even, even this time of the year, I don't know about you, but it's so easy for me to fall into that. This is a really emotional time of the year, you know, it a lot of issues come to the surface. I mean, people are dealing with family stuff, dealing with loss, dealing with pain, dealing with failed expectations. It's the end of the year. You're thinking, I didn't accomplish what I wanted to. All of these things are, are being foisted upon us by the world. You know, the, the whole attitude of like the Pharaoh. And Jesus is saying, come unto me all you who are weary and, and burdened, and I'll give you rest. I don't know about you, but that, for me, I'm so encouraged by that. I'm so encouraged. You know, the pain of life can just start to just wear us down. Wasn't it so great last week listening to Kevin? Wasn't it convicting to listen to Kevin tell about the stories about what, what they're dealing with? in the Philippines, and yet to put all of his trust and his hope in God and to enter into God's rest, to trust, just say, Lord, my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Counsel me, Lord. Speak to me. Direct me. Because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. One of the, the definitions for like burden is, you know, what, like when you have children as a parent, that's, a, that's like a burden but it doesn't mean like it's this horrible thing. It's just there's that weight of responsibility. And Jesus is saying that we can, 
We can come to him and find rest, even in the midst of having these burdens. Isn't that so promising to you? One of the other ways that we can um, get counsel from the Lord is through the voice of other people. We can have other people in our lives. And I'm a big proponent of this. I'm, I really believe everybody needs to have someone in their life speaking into their life to be a reflection and to say, how, how am I coming across? You know, speak to me, be a mirror for me. To have someone who can say no to them and they would actually listen. Every, all of us need that. We all need someone in our lives some point of accountability, not someone to control you or someone to, you know, try to take over your whole life or make all your decisions for you. There was a movement back in, I think it was the 70s um, or maybe the 80s, but it was like the shepherding movement, they called it. And everybody had to, like at the time, remember pagers? Where you'd call somebody and then your number would show up and then they'd know, oh, I need to call this number. At the time, a lot of these shepherds would have pagers And people would have to run every single decision by their shepherd. Like if they were going to change jobs or if they were going to, you know, whatever, whatever, even, even the little minute things. And it became this issue of control and it became like, you know, you couldn't make any decisions on your own. I'm not talking about that kind of a thing. I'm just talking about having someone to mentor you, someone to disciple you, someone who could, who could speak into your life. And, you know, that's one reason we have the community groups is so that you're not on your own, so that you can have someone. I mean, that's really the purpose of church. Church is about relationship. You know, it's about, about learning to love. And, and I can pretty much guarantee you this. If you're in church for more than a month or so, you're probably going to get offended. Right? Because we're dealing with offensive people, <laughs> myself included, you know. We, we just, in, in, the, in the process of walking in relationships, we, we end up hurting people. But I, I find that so many people close their hearts down. They get hurt, and they never really resolve it, and they just end up leaving. And, and Jesus' vision for his church is that we would have relationship, that we would come together, that we would be able to speak into each other's lives, that we could practice forgiving. We could practice, you know, um, encouraging and loving. And 1 Corinthians 3 says, um, the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. So often, even as Christians, don't we seek the wisdom of this world? We're, we're looking to the world for our answers. You know, and, and it's like, it says so clearly, the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. It's Jesus's counsel is so opposite of the world. And if you're hanging out with people that love the Lord and people that know the Lord, then you're going to be getting the counsel of the all-wise God. You know, Psalm 1 says, blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. You know, the Lord encourages us have relationship with people that know me, know my voice and know my spirit. You can't have that kind of a relationship online through Facebook. I, I mean, I, I think we're the most connected and least connected that we've ever been. You know what I mean? It's like there's, we're, you know, it's like 2,000 of your closest friends. 
that you're friends with on Facebook. And you, you may comment, you may like something or whatever, but you don't have that deep and abiding relationship. And that's the thing that the Lord is encouraging all of us to have. Have somebody in your life. Have somebody that knows his voice and knows his word. Somebody that can speak to you. It says, Proverbs 27, 9, it says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Don't you just love the fact that sometimes when you're going through a rough time or you're, or you're questioning something, that you can go to somebody who really knows you and really cares about you and they will tell you the truth? Do you guys have somebody in your life like that? Raise your hand if you have somebody in your life that'll tell you the truth in love. It's so important. It's so important for us. And also, you know, we talk about counseling and... Um, you know, I know this time of the year, uh, it's the, the most, for a lot of people, it's the most depressing time because people are expecting, oh, I should be so happy and so joyful, but they're, but they're not. You know, that, that kind of sentimental Christmas time thing just doesn't do it for them. And so this is, this is a time of year where there are more suicides than any other time. And, you know, we talked a lot about this in September, which was National Suicide Awareness Month. And I just say again, if, if you need something more, if you need help, there are professionals that deal with this on a daily basis that know the Lord and that can speak to you and lead you and, and help you in this. You know, when, when um, my husband Eric first became a Christian, uh, he'd had a lot of trauma in his life and he was actually diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. And we used to go to this um, counselor named Roger and, I mean, Roger kind of just sat there. He's like, go on. Go on. Go on. And Eric would, Eric would go on and on and on. And then if he'd ever stop, Roger would go, so how did that make you feel? And then Eric would start in and start talking. But I have to tell you, it helped it helped untangle a lot of confusion in his life. It helped him so much. It really helped him to be able to really move forward. You know, I saw a huge change in him. And so we know, uh, we know several different counselors. If you, need, if you need something more, if you need help, please ask us because we want to be able to help you walk toward freedom. You know, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. You know, and he, he, set our, he saved our souls but we also need to be what's called sanctified. We need to, there's a process that, you know, we need to, to grow in that. And, and he's come to set us free, so that's what we desire. And sometimes it takes, it takes a, a person who actually specializes in helping people walk in freedom. And so if, if you're someone and you're struggling and you just you can't snap out of it, please reach out and, and ask someone or ask us, um, for the names of some people and, you know, find someone that can mentor you. Another way um, that Jesus can counsel us is obviously through the word. And, you know, I, I love God's word, like I said. And, and I spent so many years of my life not understanding and not knowing that there actually was this resource that, you know, is the living, our living hope. 
And it says in Psalm 119, 103, it says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, and therefore I hate every false way. So, you know, back, go back to those little um, six-year-old little Hebrew boys. When they would first start learning about the law um, and, and the Torah, they would have them taste honey and say, this is how sweet the Torah is. This is how sweet God's words are to us. And, and it says, through your precepts, I get understanding. And I'm telling you, I know I say this every single week, but you can't really know the mind of the Lord unless you are in the Bible. Um, I had this picture of, have you ever been driving down the road, you're just tooling along, and all of a sudden, kunk, kunk, you're, you hit a big pothole? Anybody else have that experience? I had that happen a couple of weeks ago. I mean, I was just driving down the road and all of a sudden I hit this massive pothole and I mean, it sounded really bad. And I just remember thinking, you know, if, if only they would have warned me, like if there would have been a little sign up there, you know, like say pothole ahead or, you know, slow down or something. And I was, I was actually going the speed limit this time. And, you know, I mean, I just think that's what the word of God is to us. It's that warning. It says, I hate every false way. Do we really hate false ways? Or do we still think, maybe there's a chance that, you know, the wisdom of this world, I mean, because it seems kind of enticing, doesn't it? You know, and I heard this pastor a few weeks back, he was talking about, you know, we think there's God's way and then there's my way. It's kind of like, yeah, there's God's way and then there's my way. It's like, no, no, no. It's God's way and my way. It's like, and Jesus, I mean, to me, I marvel at the fact that he wants to be involved. He wants to speak into those decisions. He wants us to come to him when we're weary and burdened. He wants us to know him. He wants us to come into his rest. It says in Psalm 119, 143, it says, as pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. The commands of Jesus are easy and his burdens are light. He's saying, come on to me. I'm not going to sit there and condemn you and put all these rules on you. I'm not going to sit there and make you feel terrible about yourself. That is not what Jesus is in the, in the business of doing. He's in the business of giving us rest and encouraging us and forgiving us and loving us. Psalm, this is one of my favorite psalms. I, I, whenever I'm kind of stressed out, I always uh, quote this particular psalm. It's Psalm 25, 4. It says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation, and for you I wait all day long. The reason I'm reading is because I have it in a different version here. But this passage, teach me your ways, O Lord, show me your path, guide me in your truth, and lead me. I, I pray this often. Teach me your ways. Show me your path. Guide me in your truth, and lead me. Teach me. Instruct me. Guide my steps. 
you know, and sometimes it's like that passage where it says, you know, the people are walking in a deep darkness. You know, sometimes it's, it, we, we enter into those seasons and it's just like, it seems so dark and so hopeless. And, and he's saying, no, there's a great light. The people that are walking in darkness have seen a great light. There is so much hope in Christmas and in the coming of our God and our Savior and our Messiah and our Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I love this, Psalm 73, you guide me with your counsel and afterward you receive me to glory. And you know, one of the prayers that I pray all the time is come Lord Jesus. Even so, come Lord. Do you guys pray that too? I mean, we, it, it, it's like the earth is yearning. We are yearning for his return and he is coming back. So I just want to encourage you with, with these promises that he says that he will give you strength he will encourage you he will guide your steps he will lead you he'll speak to you he'll demonstrate his love to you he'll forgive you do do you feel the burdens on your shoulders just lifting as you come to him can we just do that now together just start this christmas season off with just just taking in the goodness of the Lord and the peace that he's called us to. Can you stand? Jesus, we are so grateful for your love and your faithfulness. Lord, we're so thankful that you are a wonderful counselor, Lord, that you are a counselor who has never had to receive any input from anyone, that you know all things, you know our hearts, and yet you continue to pour out your love. Lord, your kindness continues to lead us to repentance. And so, Jesus, we we just come before you. Can you guys just inhale again, just... Lord, we come to you, the wonderful counselor. We come unto you, Lord, and and we want to take your yoke. We want to take your ways. Lord, we want to take on the lifestyle and become just like you. Teach us your ways, Lord. Show us your path. Guide us in your truth, Jesus. For your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. And Lord, we desire to find rest for our souls. Lord, we, we desire that instead of the, the default to go to stress, Lord, that instead we could inhale you. That we could just find rest for our souls. Lord, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your spirit, Lord. Thank you for your promises for rest. Lord, we want to just cast our cares on you because you do care for us, Lord. We thank you that you know all things, Lord, and that you are intimately acquainted with all of our ways. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us, Lord. Lord.